This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome in to the Ots and Audibles podcast, Friday edition. Matt Prame, Eric Sculpa, Jared Mack. Happy Thanksgiving. Hopefully you guys are enjoying the football that's around and also maybe some basketball mixed in as well. Uh, we're all in different parts of the state of Oregon because of the holidays, uh, because of work. And yet we will all convene into a under construction Research Stadium, Saturday afternoon, um, Oregon versus Oregon State. Uh, this is the, what is it, 126th game between these two these two programs. Um, Ducks have won eight of the last ten, and yet this is one of the rare occurrences that both teams are good. 17 combined wins, I think, are the most in the last ten years. Both teams are ranked inside the top 25 college football playoffs. And for the first time in a long time, guys, it feels like maybe injuries factor here into this a little bit on Oregon's side, but it feels like both teams have a legitimate say and, hey, we could win this football game. Absolutely. And both teams, if, if, if both teams could uh, have gripes with injuries too. Uh, we had Carter Baines on this yeah. show a couple of days ago, and it's not like Oregon's the only team dealing with injuries. They've, they've been dealt kind of a tough hand as well. What do you say? 10 players went down during the Cal week or the game yeah. itself. Like they, they've, they've hit kind of a, a rough patch too. So, um, but yeah, no, it, it's kind of fun having, you know, we talked about the Washington Oregon rivalry and how, you know, we might be reaching kind of a, a, a sweet spot in that rivalry. And I think maybe we're we're hopefully getting the same thing in the Oregon-Oregon State rivalry. And, and Jackson Nagel, our intern, wrote a really nice story um, kind of outlining what Ryan Walk had to say, someone who grew up in the area, um, obviously very familiar with the rivalry. And, and kind of are we getting back to where this rivalry was in the late 2000s, early 2010s, where both teams were ranked for three, I think three out of four uh, consecutive games from like 2008 to 2012. Um, both teams being very competitive at that point, the game ultimately deciding a couple of Rose Bowl participants. Um, obviously we're not to the Rose Bowl participant part, but we're, I think at a spot where it feels like both programs should be on the up and up trajectory most years. I mean, certainly, uh, Oregon feels like they're here to stay. And I know we talked with Carter a couple of days ago about kind of the, the long-term under Jonathan Smith of now the next text test after this season, which is a very veteran team will be what, what is the next group able to do? Cause they're going to lose a lot of these key seniors that are, that are on the roster. But no, I, I think this should be a really fun and competitive game. And we'll get to game predictions at the end. I, I, I've gone back and forth all week with 
exactly how I think it's going to go and, and who's going to win. I just think this is potentially going to be a really fun football game, which uh, if you look at the history of it, typically these games are one of two things, blowouts or really close Oregon mm-hmm. State wins. Oregon doesn't usually be, isn't usually the team that wins the really close games if you look back at about the last uh, 15 or so years. Yeah, I always thought that was interesting that Oregon isn't the team that wins close. And maybe that's just because just the past couple of years because of game management or whatever that might be. But um, you know, Oregon State is, has been frisky the last couple of years. They're very frisky this year. They're a top 25 team. They're, uh, they, if they win t- uh, again tomorrow, they'll hit nine wins for the first time since 2012, which is uh, you know, a huge feat for this program, especially considering you know, where they have been and, um, and, what, and how Jonathan Smith has basically picked them up. I don't know, it might sound mean, but like, you know, the last, Jonathan Smith has kind of picked them up out of the gutter and turned them into a reputable Pac-12 <laughs> program. Um, and, and you know, just the, the the credit goes a lot to him and just the, the things that he's been able to do there, um, hire the right guys, come back to his alma mater and, you know, uh, secure an offense. Even, even though they've struggled with quarterback issues this season, they're still um, you know, I, like I, the term I used earlier, a frisky offense, they still are capable of putting up over 30 points. They're still of, capable of, of grounding and pounding you. They've developed their offensive line really well in the last couple of seasons. Um, this is, I think, a closer game than a lot of people would expect it to be. Like Matt said, it's going to go through the refurbished or currently being built research stadium. Um, I think that might that'll add some element to it. It's not going to be the full capacity as it has been in years past. It'll be was it twenty eight thousand? I think you guys mentioned before the show. Um, that's just going to make it closer. That's going to be more of a Washington State feel, which I think is in the thirties of thousands of people that can go to that stadium. Um, I think it's going to be it's going to be a fun one. And I think one of the things I'm most excited for is to see what the hell the press box situation looks like, because that'll have a lot of impact on how, on how we watch the game and all that, but it should still be, it should still be a fun game. Um, these games are always better when they're close. I know both sides, both, both fan bases would like it if their team won 50 to nothing every single time. But um, they, when it's a close game, this, this rivalry becomes better. It grows more hatred, more, you know, stems from the tree fall off and break, to 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 kids and all that and um so I'm, I'm hoping it's a close one i think it'll be closer than people expect there's a lot on the line too um oregon mm-hmm. obviously they need to win this game to get to the pac championship game and yeah there's scenarios out there that oregon could lose but those get so wonky when you factor in a loss for Oregon and what you would need to happen. It would require like two or three different outcomes, one of which would be like a unexpected loss. Um, and so it's, it's, you basically need to win this game to, to get to the conference championship. And I, I don't know how I would feel uh, about this season where let's say they, they get to, 10 they get to they get to nine wins wait no 10 sorry 10 wins um by winning their bowl game but they're 10 and three i don't know how i would feel if they went 10 and three and yet they lost to washington and they lost to oregon state um it'd be a a weird vibe so you can't lose to your rivals twice uh in one season um it you would make expectations if you get to that conference championship game and they're going to have to do it with some 
players still dinged up. Look, we expect Bo Nix to play. We expect Ryan Walk to play. We expect Alex Forsythe to play. But all three of these guys are dealing with injuries. And I, I think now the question becomes, it, it morphs from are they playing to how much does it impact what Oregon wants to do offensively? Because I, I, I think if if we had a healthy Bo Nix going into this game, I, I think Oregon's offense could put up a lot of points. Um, without the running threat, though, I, I really wonder, is, is the number in this game going to be 24 points and you feel good about winning? Is it going to be lower than that? Or is this offense at Oregon going to have to score 30 to ensure that they win this game? I don't, I don't know what that answer is. Well, I think that's the thing that makes it kind of interesting one of the things is Oregon has been able to win pretty so much this season, scoring in the 40s, the defense, you just kind of say, okay, you guys can hold them in the 30s or the 20s. We're going to be good. The offense is going to carry us. And now you're in a spot where I don't, I'm not very confident they can win pretty. And they had to win really ugly last week against Utah. And to me, that's kind of the roadmap to winning this week too, in part because I see quite a few similarities between Oregon State and Utah in terms of just how they play offensively, what their strengths are um, defensively, the way their teams are kind of composed um, across the board. We'll get into some of those later. I don't look at this as a game where I go, oh, you should expect Oregon to score, hit, hit the 40-point mark like they have been for most of the season. I would be, frankly, probably pretty surprised if that takes place and would imagine that would be the result of Oregon State making a lot of mistakes or Oregon hitting some really big plays. Like it's going to be either they hit some, you know, deep shots over the top that are unexpected or have a couple of turnovers that result in points, those sorts of things. And if you look at the turnover margin, Oregon State typically is the team that creates the turnovers and is the beneficiary of that. So, um, yeah, I'm in agreement, Matt. Like I'm, I'm fully expecting this game to be played in the, in the 20s, maybe into the low 30s. I think anything more than that means one of the teams has had some pretty good fortune, like, and I kind of laid out what that would mean a second ago. Um, really quick, what's the over-under, Jared? Do you, or Matt, do you guys have that information? Let me look. I, I, I have it on a tab. Um, I had to mute myself. Uh, the over is 59, and Oregon is a three-point favorite. 59 means it's dropped. I think it opened at 61 and a half. 59 feels like kind of right where we're talking and a little bit more yeah. scoring than what we're talking about, but like something where you're, you know, the winning team is scoring low thirties, which, which again, that feels appropriate here. And certainly the complexion has, has shifted. So no, I'm with you, Matt. Like, I think we all expect, I think Oregon's going to have available most of its key players for this game based upon what we've mm -hmm. heard. Bo, Bo doesn't talk on Tuesday. Brian doesn't talk on Tuesday. Ryan doesn't suggest Alex is getting closer on Tuesday. If those things aren't happening, I think Forsyth is the one you have the least confidence because he hasn't spoken publicly and he didn't play last week. But I, I think everyone's probably going to be out there, but it's a matter of, yeah, what, what can you get from them? And that's where things really shift offensively for me is, is, is Oregon able to now with the week of fully kind of understanding what you have with Bo Nix? Because remember last week, that was unclear. They were game planning for two different situations with, okay, you got Ty Thompson, you've got Bo Nix. Are they able to manufacture enough things in the run game, assuming Bo is unable to really be himself as a runner, which I'm going in with the assumption that's still the case. I don't think a full week heals all of that. Maybe it allows him to – maybe you don't do any design runs, but he's able to scramble more out of the pocket and feel more comfortable mm -hmm. taking off or, or at least you know move around a little bit more in there and, and be a little bit more mobile. But I don't think you're going to get 100% Bo Nix. I think that would be fool's gold or, or kind of foolish to expect. So 
what can this run game be? Oregon State is good against the run, and they're excellent against the pass. This is one of the best pass defense Oregon has faced all season, which is where you go. Oregon can't run the ball. How much success can they have throwing it? Uh, a lot of potential NFL-caliber guys back there, all-conference caliber guys. Um, I think they've had, what, 12, nine, I think they've given up nine touchdowns through the air all season and 12 interceptions, which is a really impressive rate this far into a year. So, um, you know, a week ago against Utah, Oregon was able to move the ball primarily through the air in the second half. And obviously in the first half had a little bit of run success. Well, what, does it have to be that one dimensional against a, a pass defense in Oregon State that is really capable in that area? If that's the case, that should make you a little bit nervous. So, um, no, I think the offensive stuff for Oregon, again, it's been all season. It's such a sure thing of like, oh, they're going to figure it out. They'll get 40 points. This week, you're kind of going like, well, how are they going to attack an Oregon State defense that you have to have a lot of respect for? Yeah, I mean, this is why Kenny Dillingham will eventually be paid all the big bucks because he dialed up a game plan last week with a very hobbled Bo Nix, and they were still able to win the football game. I understand that it wasn't a pretty win, but it, it worked. And that's I know, and I know that they only scored, you know, 10 points or, or excuse me, you know, just a handful of points in the second half with, with their offense only being able to throw the ball. But that was a Utah team that, you know, all the things that they do well on defense is what Oregon State does well. And all the yards that Oregon put up against Utah, even though it wasn't that many, it dropped Utah from first in the Pac-12 to second in the Pac-12 in Oregon State after their their stellar showing against Arizona State last week went, jumped in the first place. You know, these are back-to-back weeks against two of the better defenses in the Pac-12. Um, but again, what, what Oregon State does is very similar to what Utah does well, like Eric mentioned earlier, especially on defense. Um, offense, I think we'll get to in a little bit, but defensively, they're going to be physical. They're going to try and um, stuff Oregon's run game, which has been such a um, revelation for the Ducks this season. And as you know, they with their two running back sets in Whittington and Irving, um, Oregon State's going to try to stop them. And Utah did so last week as soon as they realized, like, hey, that Bo Nix, he's, he, he, he can't run the ball. We're just going to stop the running back. So that's exactly what they did. And that's what I exactly I expect Oregon State to try to do early. Because if Utah had done that earlier in the game, we might be talking about a lot of different things this week. Um, but, again, this is why you pay Kenny Dillingham the big bucks if you're a school looking for a really young and up-and-coming head coach is to see what he does with the – an injured Bo Nix and an injured offensive line to see what he comes up with to how to move the football. Um, I've got a lot of confidence in that sense and how I think Kenny is really just a brilliant guy offensively and is going to come up with some stuff for Oregon to do and to get easy yards, to get easy plays. Um, is it going to work a hundred percent of the time? Probably not, but we're, it's probably going to result in Nix throwing the ball more often than I think we all think he will like he did last week. But he still put up 287 yards to the air against the secondary that was the best in the Pac-12 and against the secondary that's got a bunch of NFL guys on it. Um, I think it's going to be a similar game plan to what it was last week. But, again, I'm still interested to see all the new wrinkles that Kenny has developed over the last week, now knowing that Nix is, is likely, you know, he's more than probable going to play, especially since we talked to him this week. There's also the Kenny Dillingham to Arizona State rumors that are – flying around right now just right does, does that have any kind of impact on this game you know we've we have seen covering this program the last couple of years coaching rumors have a direct correlation to a play on the field a couple times does that 
factor into this game at all. I don't know. Um, do we want to shift over to, to keys to the game? Sure. Yeah. No, I'm yeah. I'm I'm good too. I I think for me it it's all the defense for me. If if Oregon's defense comes to play, um, I I've got pretty good confidence that Oregon can win this game with its offense being limited and what it can do. Um, and so for me, it's you. Oregon needs to win and win consistently and win big on first and second down. You you cannot allow this Oregon State team to get into third and short because that's it's very much like last week against Utah. I mean, Cam Rising is a very good quarterback. What he did in throwing those three interceptions was very unusual for Cam Rising. But that is a team that's uncomfortable having to push the ball down the football field through the air multiple times, a ton of times in that game. And that's what they had to do. And so it's very similar for me. Win on first and second downs that you set up third and nine, third and ten, because Ben Goldbrunson is not Cam Rising. And he's played well the last couple of weeks. Uh, he went for two, he's gone for three touchdowns, no interceptions the last two games. But this this OSU passing attack is, I, I feel like, a shell of what Utah's is. And Utah's is not anything special because of their injuries right now. And Luke Musgrave is probably not playing in this game for Oregon State, their star tight end. He hasn't played basically since week two of the season. Um, their receivers are are decent. But make Oregon State throw on third and long. And if you can accomplish that consistently, the averages say that that OSU will convert quite a bit because Oregon's pass defense isn't very good. But I just feel like if, if, if you put them in the third and long situations, ultimately they're going to make some mistakes. Interceptions will get thrown. Balls will get tipped. Balls will hit the floor. And you'll walk off the football field making the stops needed to give your offense the separation. Yeah, what did I say earlier? I said Oregon needs to win ugly. And the defense has to be a part of that, right? I mean, you don't win ugly with the defense giving up a bunch of points, giving up a bunch of yards. And, and, and you know, instead of bending, not breaking, they, they break. Um, and for me, it's, I think you, last week, you know, I don't know if it gets overlooked, but I don't know if we've talked about it quite as much as maybe we need to. The defense had struggled to force a lot of turnovers this season. They forced three and they all came in big spots. I think that's pivotal this week again against Goldbranson, who he's not Cameron Rising. He doesn't throw the ball very much. Like Morgan State is an, an offense that is a very low volume pass offense. Like they, they throw, I think, about 25 passes per game this season. And that number is even less with him at the quarterback. And Chance Nolan was available the first four games or so. They were throwing it a little bit more um, frequently. So, like, if you can find ways to make it difficult on Goldbranson and, and kind of maybe goes along with what Matt was saying, where it feels like the, the game's kind of in his shoulders and that means you take away the run game and you can force some turnovers, I just think that's pivotal because we know this defense over the course of the season, maybe we'll be surprised and it won't play out this way, but we know what, what takes place usually with this defense is they give up a lot of yards, they get into the red zone, they play pretty sound in the red zone defensively. You know, they, they do a decent job of forcing field goals and at least forcing tough situations where they have to go for it on fourth. But teams move the football. And a big part of playing ugly and making this a game where it's, you know, the, the, the offense doesn't have to strain too much is going to be like, can you force some turnovers and provide some positive 
situations where the offense maybe doesn't have to go the length of the field, um, you know, or, or situations where uh, you're able to build an early lead and it plays into some more of what Matt is saying of like Oregon State's on a team that is built to play from behind. They want to play with the lead. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think for me, it's, it's, it's key to, to find ways to force turnovers. Um, Gobranson's actually done a pretty good job of protecting the football the last, what, since the Utah game, he came in as a, a reserve, like as a starter, eight touchdowns, one interception. That's pretty impressive. Um, but he's also a first year quarterback. Hasn't been in a spot or very many spots like this. Like if you look at the games that they've played during his, his success, Washington is the only game he's played against a team with a winning record. All the other games are against some of the bottom feeders. And as we've established this season, there's a huge difference between like the top six in the conference and the bottom six. And Cole Branson's played one game against a team in the top six, and that was Washington. They lost. It was in terrible weather conditions. I don't even think he threw for like 60 yards in that game. Um, so like, I think it's pivotal that you make his life difficult and you try to force some mistakes there. Um, again, I think defensive stuff is going to be pretty key here. Yeah, I like the the top six or the bottom – or excuse me, the top half of the Pac-12 reference you got there, Eric, because against the top half of the Pac-12, you know, Oregon State has – eight or nine total turnovers, four against Southern California, four against Utah, and then one against Washington. I know that Gold Branson wasn't playing in that USC game, I don't think off the top of my head. Um, but, you know, the, that's what happens against the better teams in the Pac-12, it seems like. And you go on the defensive side and you're like, oh, well, how many tur- – they've, they've created 17 total turnovers this season. Um, eight of them came against the combination of Boise State in the very first game of the season and Montana State, as we all know, the powerhouse Montana State, even though they are pretty darn good. Um, and the other, and four other came against Colorado, probably one of the worst teams in college football up there with the University of Massachusetts. Um, so that's, and, you know, we can all do, we can all do some math here. That's 12 of their 17 turnovers come in three games against real bottom feeder level competition. It's a defense that that plays really well, but it's very similar to Utah. And I think Oregon is going to expose them through the passing game more than anything else. Um, you know, even against, as, as Eric mentioned, that Washington game against Oregon State, where there was unbelievable wind. You know, Michael Penix still threw for 300 yards in that game, or 298. So right there. This is a team that you can move the ball on through the air. Rushing? Maybe not. Because Oregon State's rush defense is actually quite good. The most amount of yards they've allowed in a, in, the, in a game this season on the ground is 177, which is significantly below what Oregon averages and pretty much significantly below what Oregon State averages. Um, but through the air, I think they can do some damage there. Um, I wanted to just touch on that for a second. Um, but key to the game, I'm going to agree with you guys, is obviously defense. It's just because this is – with an injured Knicks, with an injured offensive line, with a lot of uncertainty surrounding on the offense, the defense needs to step up like it does against Utah. Um, I don't think I have to go too much into it because you guys, I think, have covered most of the angles that I, I would try to hit. But um, this is all about creating pressure on Gil Branson. If you create pressure on Gil Branson and you figure out if you can get to the quarterback with rushing four, or rushing five, whatever the case may be, um, he'll flounder. This is an opportunity for Oregon to really put some pressure on him, put him into uncomfortable and awkward situations to try to get him to, to throw into some turnovers like they did against Cameron Rising. I did mention earlier that if Oregon wins or if they lose, they could still get to the conference championship game. The tiebreakers right now, these are the three scenarios. Oregon wins over Oregon State or a loss by Washington State. 
uh, and they're in. So Oregon could lose and Washington State could win and the Ducks are in. So it's not as complicated as it would be, as I made it out to be, but th there it is. Um, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll dive into some of our team and individual player predictions and then finish up with our score prediction. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome back to the Ots and Audibles podcast. Um, prediction time for this one. Um, offense first, offensive player, and then vice versa on the defense. Uh, I'll start with the offensive team pick here. Um, I think Oregon's going to hit the season high in yards allowed for Oregon State's defense in Pac-12 play. Um, the current number is 368, which came middle of the season against Washington State. Uh, the season high, by the way, is 492 in a win at Fresno State that was back and forth. Um, I think Oregon State won that game on like a last-minute like a last play touchdown or something, um, or it was a field goal. I I think a healthy Bo Nix and, you know, week five of Oregon version of football could surpass 492, but um, 
I'm going maybe a little conservative here with Nix's injury. Um, I think if they were healthy, that number gets beat. But I'm going 369 or more total yards by Oregon's offense, which would be a season high for Oregon State in Pac-12 play. It's a pretty impressive number, by the way, for Oregon. <laughs> That's really good. I was not expecting it to, to be that low. Yeah. And, and part of it, again, is I don't want to minimize it because they had the two tough games that they lost to USC and Utah. The rest of their schedule has been quite favorable, in part because the Washington game mm-hmm. was played in such bad conditions where the the offenses weren't really at a premium. Uh, mine's sort of similar. Uh, I mentioned it earlier. Um, I, I'm just skeptical and uncertain of what this rush offense is going to look like exactly. And so I think this is, gonna, again, going to be a big Bo Nix passing the ball day. And uh, I know I've been very complimentary of Oregon State secondary. I think there are some guys back there that are going to be all-conference caliber players, probably players that have NFL futures. Um, it's a very experienced veteran group. They added a, a transfer that has really kind of shored things up even more um, in Cooper. So like, I have a lot of respect there, but I, I, think, I think Oregon is going to need to throw the football, and I think they're going to have some success. And um, I think some of the one-on-one battles, like Oregon, frankly, is just going to have a little bit better players in some of those situations. And I, I think they're going to have more success than just about anybody has had throwing the football this season against Oregon State. I have Oregon throwing for 300 or more yards, uh, which I believe would be the second team to do that this year, uh, third team, because both Fresno State and Washington State um, also surpassed that marker. Um, I, I, I think Bo showed last week and even talked about it a little afterwards. It's kind of interesting. You know, He's had two different ankle injuries that are kind of similar to this in his career, one in high school, one in college, obviously the one last year at Auburn forced him out. But he said, you know, he's had to at least one time in his playing career in high school transition from being that dual threat guy to being a pocket passer where you can't really move and you can't use your feet and your legs. And I, I think this week, as we saw last week, he's going to be kind of in that mode of 95 to a hundred percent of what I'm doing. It's just standing in the pocket you know, flicking the ball around, trying to get the ball to receivers. And even on a, ba- a bum ankle, he was able to stretch the ball vertically, I think way more than I expected last week. And I think that'll be more of the same in, in you know, uh, this game. So uh, I, I go 300 yards or more through the air for an Oregon pass offense that I think really, really does need to be a focal point this week. I had a similar one to Matt, but Matt, let me ask you: the the conference record for against Oregon State's defense is three ninety eight from Washington. Do you still stick with it? Um, so yeah, did be, they go over three ninety? Is that what you're saying? They went. It was three ninety eight Washington versus Oregon State this year. Uh, yeah, I'd stick with it. I think I think they're going to go just over four hundred total yards offense, Oregon. Nice. Yeah, I was looking at the total allowed. 492 was tempting, just because I know if Oregon's offense is rolling on all cylinders, I think they get there. I don't think they, they I don't, they're not rolling on all cylinders just no. because of health issues and all that. But I do have them getting over 425. 425 was just an arbitrary number that sounded nice in my head. I went back and looked at the last couple of years that they've played. Um, they put up 506 against Oregon State last season, and then 468 against Oregon State in 2020. Um, I don't think they'll hit either of those numbers, but I think something over 425 is more likely, um, just because 
we'll get to the individual player predictions, but I have something that'll give them a lot of yards in general. Um, and I think that despite the rushing attack not really working against Utah, um, I think Utah's defensive front is better than Oregon State's defensive front. I really do. I know that the numbers don't indicate that, but Utah's played some some pretty darn good rushing teams this season. And like Eric mentioned earlier and I mentioned earlier, Oregon State has played some of the bottom of the barrel Pac-12 offenses, rushing offenses. Um, I think that they get some success on the ground. It's not going to be what their normal, like, you know, 230 plus yards on the ground, but I think they get some success to bring them over 425 yards. Individual pick here. Um, the last couple of weeks, Chris Hudson has had a terrific uh, couple of games in the, the passing game. Um, his involvement skyrocketed last week because of injury, I think. Nine catches, 56 yards. He had seven catches for 55 yards against Washington. Um, and then obviously against Colorado, four for 80. But the last two weeks, uh, 16 total catches out of his 41. It's a lot. I think that continues uh, for a third straight week and for a second straight week because of the Bo Nix injury. You, look, there's not a lot of deep shots down the field. And Hudson's their best guy in the screen game. And so I, I'm going – one or the other, uh, eight or more catches in this game for Chris Hudson, which I feel is very confident of happening. And then I split the averages 55 and 56, 55 and a half, but he'll go 56 or more yards in this game as well. Uh, so one of those two things happening, eight catches, or I'll make it just an even 60 or 60 yards receiving for Chris Hudson. I think he's going to be heavily involved in the passing game. I think that's a really good one, Matt, <clears throat> for, for kind of the reasons we outlined earlier this week, and you kind of did as well, where the screen game becomes part of the run game, basically. It becomes an extension of that. And how many times, even on that, op I think he had like four of his catches, three of his catches on that opening drive last week against Utah. And it, it seemed like that was kind of a, hey, we maybe aren't going to be able to run the ball super effectively, but if we can get six to seven yards and some short passes here, some screens some hitches, then that'll be kind of a way to manufacture a little bit of that. So I think that's a really good one. I, I'm going the opposite kind of in terms of the sort of uh, outcome of a play, which is Dante Thornton now has had, uh, I believe, four catches the last two weeks go for more than 40 yards. Um, I think it maybe it's just three, but he's had uh, four over 25 uh, during that span. I think he's going to have another long catch. I think he's really coming into his own. I think notably it seems like Knicks is really trusting him now. I, mean, I don't know if that was something that was lacking early on in the season. I think a large part of his um, kind of reduced role had, to, had more to do with Chase Coda than anything wrong with Thornton because Chase was such a reliable target, such a key player. Both spoke so highly of how Chase kind of was – he and Chase kind of had a really good chemistry in terms of knowing where to be on the field in certain situations. It seems like there's a little bit of that chemistry developing down the field right now with Thornton and Nix, where that second pass in particular, Nix just kind of threw it to a spot and said, go get it, and, and, and trusted him in a really big spot. That was a, that was a tie football game, I think, when he threw that out there. And uh, a really great play, a really nice um, – uh, adjustment made by Thornton to make that catch. I just think there's something brewing there. So I'm going, uh, Thornton has another 40 or longer catch this game, and I'm going to say it's going to be a touchdown. I just think he's playing at a really high level. 
And this is a really nice end of season sort of storyline here where this is a player who can maybe, you know, we talked about it last year. We thought he was going to parlay a really strong kind of last couple of games, really just a, a, a strong bowl performance into a really big sophomore season. Well, it took him a little longer than we expected, took an injury, but I think we're maybe starting to see that where we could go, hey, in 2023, there could be a great one-two punch with, with Franklin uh, and Thornton and one-two, three punch if you want to include Chris Hudson there too. I like that one. Love me some Dante Thornton. Love me his skill set. But, Eric, you went team offense, 300-plus yards passing. I'm going individual, Bo Nix, 300 yards plus plus passing because I think you overestimate Kenny Dillingham letting Ty Thompson throw down the field and not just behind the line of scrimmage. Um, uh, to, be clear, to be clear, Jared, uh, I guess by proxy, I was also individually predicting Bo Nix would throw for 300 yards because I don't predict anyone else will throw passes no, in this game. Yeah, no, no, Ty Thompson, no, no, Jay, the ghost of Jay Butterfield. If they've learned anything from last week, it yeah. is just keep the ball with them. Give, Ken has to have the football. Don't bring anyone else in. It gets complicated. Keep it to him. <laughs> I hope that they learned that last week. Um, yeah, I got I got Nick Stone for over 300 yards. He came awfully close last week, um, 287 against Utah. I think that Oregon's going to have more possessions this week. Um, I think that their passing attack is going to start early. Um, and I, I do, I do think that they'll use a screen game and really try to establish that as a, as a, uh, like an extension of the run game. But I, I think they're going to take some deep shots down the field. And I like the Dante Thornton prediction. I think Troy Franklin gets a little bit more involved this week than he was last week. And how about some tight end passes? Good gracious. They went from one of the best groups in the country to being absolutely nobody's the last couple of weeks, but Maybe that's because they're sitting on the line blocking because they have to at this point with Nick's not being able to run the football. But um, yeah, I got I got Nick's throwing for over 300 yards. I like that one. I I think he's going to have a big day. Uh, and like last week, this could be a week where his glory air quotes at Oregon goes up. Um, defensive team pick. Oregon's gone three weeks without a sack. I don't know if you guys realize that. Uh, that's bad. Uh, crazy to think about. Wild stat to hear. Uh, I was shocked when when uh, I think it was Mace Funa that brought it up. Um, just they, they've not been good. That's their money down, and they're not getting their money, as he said. I'm setting the over-under here at one and a half, and that feels like <laughs> – yeah. A terrible, easy number to hit. But when you look at the team, with the, how they've played the last couple of weeks, when you fa factor in the game, they're playing and the opponent doesn't throw the ball a lot. I'm going to take the over one and a half sacks for Oregon in this football game. I, I think that streak ends. And I think that's going to be what gets to my game picks here in a little bit. But that's going to be one of the little things of this football game that you point to and say that had a really big impact. Yeah, I, just, I was just pulling up stats to kind of look into it. Uh, Oregon State has only allowed 11 sacks this season, but it's come on 283 dropbacks. And if we think this is a game where Oregon has control and forces Cole Branson and Oregon State to try to throw the football, that's where maybe we see that number go up because that ratio is, is, so, is very solid. I'm not saying it's not, but the number of pass attempts like if they were throwing the football say on par with the rest of the conference which is about 400 pass attempts like they're legitimately like 100 passes per you know attempted this season below a lot of teams in this conference but if they threw it 100 more times let's say that number is now about 15 16 
um, which would put them kind of middle of the pack rather than being to the top. So I think that's a, a solid prediction. And Oregon really badly needs to get home. Um, mine is focused on an opposing individual player. I don't know if I've ever done this one exactly before, but uh, I think Oregon holds Damian Martinez under 100 yards rushing. I think that's notable because Martinez has reached 100 in five straight games. He's been, I think, I, I, I expect to win Pac-12 Offensive Freshman of the Year. I, I can't really, I don't really think of anyone besides Jaden Ott who's really in the running for it. I, if someone, if there's a, someone in the comment, if I'm forgetting a really obvious one, let me know. There's no quarterback, and I don't know if there's even a receiver that's like really jumped out and had a great first year as a freshman. Um, but I, I think Martinez has been such a crucial part. And if you go watch some of the some of the games that they've played recently, he's going to be a really good player in this conference for a really long time. He is explosive. He is powerful. He's compactly built. He's six foot, about two hundred and twenty pounds right now. I imagine that's a guy who, in you know, by the time his final season at, at Oregon State is wrapping up, he's maybe closer to two thirty. Um, but he runs with explosiveness. He's got great vision. He's got great balance. Like he's a tough guy to bring down. But I think Oregon will be able to bottle him pretty well in this game, or at least better than in the last little run here. Because, again, Oregon's run defense has been really solid this year. A stat I looked up and found was uh, only UCLA's Zach Charbonnet and Washington's Wayne Talapapa uh, are the only Pac-12 running backs to surpass their season averages in the games against Oregon this season. So Oregon has done a pretty good job, with the exception of a couple of times here. Um Obviously, Charbonnet is just an incredible, incredible running back. I think I still think that's the best back they've faced all season, and probably will, that'll probably be the case at the end of the year, depending on what the postseason bowl game plays out to be. But there are not many talent, more talented backs than Charbonnet in the com on the country. Uh, I think Martinez is good. I don't think he's quite on that level, and I don't expect him to get over 100 yards in this game. I like that. I have something very similar. Um, I still think a running back is only as good as his offensive line. And Oregon's defensive line showed last week that, you know, Tavion Thomas ran for 180 yards against Stanford the week before and against a poor defensive front. Um, Oregon's defense against the rush has been great all season long. But a lot of a lot of those stats, you kind of make wonder. It's like, well, do, does the opposing team need to run? They just need to pass. That's all they have to do. But they've showed time and time again that they've been very good against the run, even against um, you know, against Utah, they hold Tavion Thomas to 56, to the 56 of 65 yards. I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, they held Utah to 52 yards underneath their season average that was going into that game. So I think they'll hold Oregon State to under or 50 yards under their season average today. So I have them holding Oregon State to under 150 yards on the ground, which I think would be a season low um, by the Oregon State offense. Um, I really think that this this rush defense for Oregon is damn good. I think the emergence of Casey Rogers last week, Brandon Dorless, as we know, uh, Keon Ware Hudson is very good. Taki Taimani doesn't show up on the stat sheet, but he stuffs the line. He's very good. He's got a he got a pretty good uh, last week. He got a pretty good PFF grade for run run defense. Um, I think that this defensive front needs to apply pressure, like Matt said with the sacks earlier. But I think they'll be pretty solid along the, the front against the rush defense of Oregon State. So holding the Beavers to under 150 yards on the ground. I'm going to pause our discussion here for a second. Mm. Do you think there's a possibility that, because we're all kind of talking a little bit about it, 
So I'm going to ask the question. I think there's a possibility that Oregon's defense could whip up on Oregon State. And this game maybe turns into what maybe we're all thinking is a 27-24 20, win. Could it maybe be a, a 27-10 win? Like, is that possible? Does Oregon's defense have that ability to do this? Well, I think I think what Oregon should start to do is just to bear down on the rush. Say, hey, Ben Goldbranson, you haven't done anything this season. Try to beat us. Once he, once he might start to beat Oregon, then they might lean off of a rush defense, and then they could turn into a game where they're able to move the ball better. But I'm unsure if Goldbranson is capable of doing that. So I could see it being like a 27 to 10 victory. Um, I just don't have enough faith to rely on Oregon's defense to say that they'll hold them to, sure. you know, to under 14 points. Yeah, I think that's where I'm at, Matt. Is it a possible possible outcome? Yeah, probably. I, it's just it's hard for me. And again, I, I think, well, I think a, a lot of things on, on this particular topic. But a couple of weeks ago, we were so down on this defense. It just feels yeah, weird right. for me to, to totally shift and say now they're going to just shut down a rival in a game that's big. Um, who has a good offense and just in general. Who does have a good – has a very good rush offense and has shown capable of throwing it through the air when they've needed to. Not at a high level. No one's going to say – even Oregon State fans and supporters would, would say Ben Branson is serviceable. He's not great. Cameron Rising is a better quarterback in Oregon. Uh, you know, really did a great job defensively in that game. Um, and I guess the one area you can maybe talk yourself into saying Oregon's defense dominates this thing is if you go, hey – the Washington game may have just been a really bad matchup. Sure. It's a really tough, tough, you know, it was it was a style of offense that Oregon is just not built to play right now with the speed that they lack on the back end. And they went against a Utah offense, which I think is fairly similar in a lot of ways to Oregon State, and did a really good job there. And that Utah offense has probably more talent at most positions than the Oregon State offense. And so you can say, hey, and and – Maybe Oregon does it again this week, but I, I, I think if they held Oregon State to like one touchdown and a field goal, that would be surprising to me. Very, yeah. All right, just just worth a discussion. Uh, it, it, agreed. It, I agree. And I agree. I think what we all think here is Oregon has a chance to really dominate the line of scrimmage. Yes. Which which would be maybe in line with a really low score for Oregon State, but I. I don't know. They just gave up 37 points a couple weeks ago and a bunch of long touchdowns. It's kind of hard to right. be like, yeah, they're, these guys are incredible. Sure. All right. Uh, back to our regular schedule programming. Um, <laughs> team defense or individual defense. Sorry. Um, Noah Sewell has had an interesting season. Dan Landing has told us repeatedly that stats are for losers. Um, but I'm going to go there. Sewell's stats are down considering – last couple of seasons um he has come on strong the last couple of weeks against utah he was phenomenal had eight tackles he had an interception uh was really good for oregon i think that continues this week i think the matchup is perfect for him and i think he hits double digit numbers and tackles this season for the first time in this game so that's 10 or more tackles and i also think this game could potentially put him in a position to take over the team lead and tackles on the season. Uh, he's currently third. I, I really think there's a possibility we see Sewell have just a monster game and 
the losers will, will, will go crazy because his stats are going to be pretty good in this one. Yeah, us losers who like stats. <laughs> We're going to have a really good no. – uh, I actually also did a no Sewell game. My prediction, Our predictions are like very much in lockstep. I did the exact prediction I did last week, which I fell just short on, which is nine tackles or more. His season high is currently nine, so I, I basically do matching it. Just a slight tangent since I don't have much more to say. Do we think the way the years play out, there's a chance Noah returns for a senior season? I've been thinking no. that. I, I, don't, I see Jared shaking his head, and I agree with him, but I think the question is worth pondering about, though. I, uh, I talked to somebody. I don't even, I, I'm trying to think about how to position this, but I talked to somebody who's not like on the team or around the team, but who knows some people who says there's a lot of buzz right now that Noah's considering it. So just that's a thought. I mean, it'd be smart. Because you can learn from Dan Lanning, who's obviously you know, worked wonders with linebackers at Georgia. Um, he needs a lot of help. He needs a lot of pass coverage help, which I guess they could help teach him. But I don't think so. I think he's still got a high enough, probably day two grade at this point, like a second, third, fourth round pick that he should probably end up, you know, I think I think he'll end up going to the draft. Am I, am I on to my individual pick? It is your turn, yeah. Okay, well, un unfortunately, I also had a Noah Sewell one um, because, I, again, this is – I just – you know, you go off last week and how well he performed. This is the same offense with an even worse quarterback that has to rely more on their rush offense. Um, ding, ding, and ding. Uh, Noah Sewell, again, over seven tackles and over one and a half tackles for loss. I dig it. And, look, none of us make – we don't so. talk about what our picks are before we start doing this. Well, so. Matt, mine are published on DuckTerritory.com yes. on my Scopodamus, so you can I find saw mine Eric there. And I, yeah, I saw that we had the same ones. I well, said, I oh. make it a point not to read yours before we go into these because that's okay. cheating. Fair, fair enough. I appreciate I appreciate the honor code there. Jared, come on. Don't, don't read I cheat. My, I don't yeah. – Don't read my or, content, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, that's a you know, sub at Zach Neal. I'll just go read his predictions instead. Oh, Zach Neal, I hope you're listening. I doubt he's it. not listening. No, he's not listening. All right. Uh, score predictions here. And I'll be honest. I've gone back and forth. I still don't know as I'm talking what I what numbers I'm going to be throwing <laughs> out here. <laughs> Live podcasting at its best. Um, I, I think Oregon wins. And I've got a sneaking suspicion that this game is going to maybe be one of those games where hey it's going to be close both teams are equal and then the team on paper who's far more talented kind of flexes its muscle here a little bit um, and the reason why i think that is oregon strengths play into oregon state strengths this is good on good essentially what these teams are good at um, oregon state i don't think has the offense built to expose oregon's terrible pass defense and that's going to play into oregon so it's Good on good. I, I like Oregon's individual talent better. Uh, I think Bo Nix is going to be a little bit more healthy. They're going to have a little bit more time to game plan around what his injury and his limitations can be and can't be. And so I, I'm picking Oregon winning this game 34 to 21. I think it's going to be a 13-point win. Um, I, I think Oregon gets a couple really opportunistic turnovers, whether that's a fumble or an interception or just a turnover on downs. Um, or maybe an unofficial turnover, a missed field goal attempt by Oregon State. Um, and 
they score, maybe they get that middle eight where they score right before the half and then they score right again early on in the second half. And that's the difference in this game, but 34, 21, Oregon, um, they're, they're going to have a pretty impressive performance for a team that's pretty banged up. Earlier in the podcast, Matt, you said the exact score prediction I'm about to make. And I was wondering if you were going to, we were going to have the same score again. So I'm happy you uh, on the fly shifted, but I, (laughs) I, I, I'm going really close, nail-biting game. That's fairly low scoring. Um, I'm saying 27-24, Ducks. Uh, I I don't know if I ever at this point thought in the week thought I thought Oregon would lose. I think if Nix's availability was really up in the air, again, it would be tough like it was last week when they, uh, when they played Utah and it was uncertain if he'd play. <laughs> um, I, I just don't know if there's going to be enough offensive firepower really for either team to create enough separation to really pull away. And I could see the 27-24 being a close score that, and the game is close, but where Oregon still has kind of maintains control throughout and, you know, continues to hold kind of a, a one score lead throughout it. And, and, you know, one of the things I made earlier, just a couple of stats that are kind of interesting uh, about kind of this rivalry is, you know, it, Oregon hasn't won a one-score game in Corvallis since 1994, um, which is pretty interesting. Like they, wow. Yeah, so si- since 1994, when they won 17 to 13, uh, Oregon has actually lost the majority of the games played in Corvallis. But the games that they have won, they've won six of 13. They've won by an average of 29 points. So it's like either they lose up there or they just completely whoop them. So I'm going kind of against the grain here and going it's a really close game and Oregon wins by a field goal. Um, we'll see, though. Like there, There's also part of me that thinks the outcome could be a little bit more lopsided in Oregon's favor. Um, but I, have, I just have a lot of I, – I honestly, most of my – a lot of this stems from uncertainty at quarterback and then uh, just a lot of respect for Jonathan Smith. I think he's a, an excellent coach and um, – to me, probably should win Pac-12 Coach of the Year, and I think if he if they do beat Oregon on Saturday, they probably move to the front runner. He probably moves to the front of that that that, that award list. He'll yeah, he'll absolutely be in contention. He's done a tremendous job with this program. That being said, I have Oregon winning 38-24. I think it's going to be a little closer than that final score indicates of a two-score touchdown win, but I think Oregon gets seven points from something other than Bo Nix's right arm or anybody on the offensive side of the ball. So I think that's going to happen. A turnover, a punt return, whatever the case. I think special teams might actually do something this week. Um, I agree with both of you where I can see this being a really close, like a three-score game, or three-point score game, not a three-score game, excuse me. But, you know, the last couple of years Oregon has played Oregon State, it kind of hasn't meant anything for Oregon. You know, 2020 was 2020. It's kind of a gross season. Last year, Oregon is already you know, in the Pac-12 championship game. You know, they, they know that they're going to go against Utah. They don't, there's no one really breathing down their neck. They don't really need to get up for the game, and that's why some of these are a little more closer than expected. This is a win and you're in for Oregon. I think they're going to show up ready to go. I think Oregon State's going to show up ready to go. I think the first half is going to be very exciting, but I think where Oregon really begins to separate is that middle eight, section again where they've done so well but haven't done well in the last two weeks um i think that they jump out to a lead there i don't think they let go for the rest of the game so i got oregon winning by 14. yeah 
I, I agree with Jared. I think this is going to be an opportunity for Oregon to kind of flex its muscle here a little bit. But I'm excited to see it. I mean, look, these games are awesome when they're close, and we don't get a lot of them. Um, Jared, Eric's stat of the point differential is wild to me. Like, that that's crazy to think about. Um, it's going to be a fun environment. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. We're looking forward to getting down to Corvallis. Uh, seeing a football game in a construction zone. Bring your hard hats, guys. Uh, we don't know mm-hmm. what's going to be falling from the sky. Uh, hopefully, it's hopefully it's uh, clear, dry weather. Uh, it would be a shame if this game is impacted by weather. But next time you hear from us, will be post game. Um, don't yet know our plans for that. Normally, we do it on our way games from the stadium, but we don't know if that's going to be feasible or not. Uh, so that. Podcast may come out a little delayed Saturday afternoon, but nonetheless, we'll get it up post-game edition. And until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.